So just, just to recap, a few of the important things we've talked about so far in the series is the difference between the omnipresence of God and the manifest presence of God. God is everywhere at one time. There's not one place he does not exist. So that is, that is describing his omnipresence. His manifest presence, though, is the ability for us to intentionally be with him and develop a relationship with him. Remember, if you have a relationship with somebody and you see them on a consistent basis, then you are consistently in their presence. So this is what we're talking about, the manifest presence of God. We talked about choosing his presence over his blessings. This was the first sermon. The first sermon we talked about Moses and the Israelites, how God was so frustrated with the Israelites that he said, I'm going to send you on ahead into the promised land, but I'm not going to go with you because you're so disobedient. And Moses said, God, I'd rather have your presence in my life than any answered prayers that I've been praying for. That's how important you are to me. And so we learned to choose his presence. We talked about honoring his presence, that God is a holy God, and he will not allow his presence to be manipulated or for us just to come in however we want And then last week we talked about prioritizing his presence. How important is his presence in your life? And then we also talked about different things that we get in his presence, like rest. We get joy. We get things in his presence that we can only get from him. We can't get them any other place. Today we are talking about what it looks like to be in his presence. So practically, what does it mean to be in God's presence? I know we hear that all the time. I almost titled the message, being in his presence, because I really want to talk about what is it, how do I know I'm in God's presence. Before we do that, I want to just lay a couple of ground rules, and that's really not the right word, but I want to say a few things that are going to help us understand a few things about the presence of God. Number one, the presence of God is not a feeling. The presence of God is the presence of a person, Jesus. Many times when we're talking about the presence of God, especially if you grew up in a charismatic church like I did, you talk about a feeling that you felt. Many times we'd go into a service and the the music would get so loud and so rowdy and, and then we'd start feeling things and we'd say, oh, that was God. I felt God in this place. And I'm not saying that we didn't, but a lot of times we associate, well, God's presence came today. Now, can we feel the presence of God? Absolutely. We can feel him in prayer. We can feel him in worship. When we praise, we can feel him in, in, when we get baptized, we feel his presence. We feel his presence in different places, and that's great. But just because we don't feel God's presence doesn't mean we're not in his presence. And I think the Word of God teaches that you, we can discern whether or not we're living in his presence apart from what we feel. Here's something else that I want to share. To be in God's presence is to spend time with him. Okay, so people ask, well, how do I know if I'm in God's presence? Very simple question. Have you given him any specific amount of time? Because a lot of times we just wonder if we're living in God's presence and just hoping because we go to church or because we do this and that. Um, And yes, when we come to church, we are in his presence because the word says where two or three are gathered in my name, there he is. So he is in this place, even though you may not feel him. That's why he's still worthy of praise because he's still in the room. Um, so have you given him time? If you don't give him time, then you probably haven't spent time in his presence. He's a person just like us, not in the same sense, but we are created in his image. So, and we have a relationship with him the way we have a relationship with others in our life. So if we're going to have any good relationship with anyone else, we have to give time. Is that right? So the question then becomes, 
people ask, oh, how much time should I spend with him? The question, then the answer to that is how much time, how close, sorry, how close do you want to be to him? How much, to, how, do, how much time do I spend with God? The question is how, how close do you want to be to him? Because the truth is the closer you are to God, the more peace you'll have, the more joy you'll have, the more understanding you'll have, the more wisdom you'll have. It's, a, it's like what we mentioned last week. There's a difference between visiting his presence and living in his presence. Most Christians, most Christians just visit his presence because they only go, they only visit him when we come together on Sunday or when we, at, we pray before our meal or whenever we're in a situation and we visit him, we go to his throne and say, God, I'm going through this. I'm sorry I haven't reached out like I should have this week or the past month, but God, I'm here. Would you, would you please hear me? Would you please answer my prayer? And I'm thankful God's that way. God is much more understanding, it's much more loving than us. Because how many of us would appreciate if somebody only came into our presence when they needed something? We have people like that in our lives, or we have had people like that in our lives. Thank God he's not like us, because we would have said, next, right? Next. I'm tired of, I'm tired of seeing your face. <laughs> Just being honest, right? I'm tired, of, I'm tired of hearing from you. Listen, we can only live in God's presence, not visit. I didn't say visit. We can only live in his presence when we spend time with him every day. Um, how often do you see the person that you live with? Somebody said too much. <laughs> Dang. Count, we need to extend a hand and pray for counseling in just a moment. Pray. We'll counsel them later. Lay hands on them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Um, what was I going to say? <laughs> when you spend time, when you live with somebody, you don't see them all the time, except for in your case, probably. But you see them, you don't see them all the time, but you're still living in their presence because you will see them. Now, if you're married, unfortunately, this is where we can become a little tricky because if you're married and sometimes. Our schedules aren't aligning the way that they should, and we miss each other. Your marriage can, can go through that for just a little bit, but it can't sustain that. It's the same way with the Lord. We can live in his presence, but if we're not spending time with him, then he's like, hey, what's going on? I'm missing you. You're missing me. You don't even know my heart towards you anymore. I don't know your heart towards me. And so we have to learn to be intentional with our time. Now, some people may think, spend time with God every day man, I don't know if I can do that, like every day, really? I could spend time, you know, maybe a couple times out of the week. Do you realize there are some things you do every day? And they range from very easy to very hard, but we still do them every day. What's something that you do every single day? That's, yes, should do that. <laughs> some people don't. One thing that people, that, that we do every single day is we eat. How many would say, yes, I eat every, even if it's just a little bit, it doesn't have to be a lot, it may not be a full meal, but you eat something every day. This is something I do every day. I do every meal. I, um, I probably shared this, I shared this this last service, but I probably shared it before. I remember one time, I don't miss meals. I don't miss meals. I find a way. I find a way. I wish I was that way with, with prayer and the word, but um, I remember one time I was running late somewhere, and I, I live, off of, live on leftovers just in case anybody wants to help me out. Um, and I had some leftover ribs. Dude, 
Ask me why I warmed that sucker up and I started eating it on the road. When my hands were sticky and I didn't have anything to clean them with, I thought, man, I have a problem. I have a real problem. And so I don't, I eat every single day. Something else we do every day is we sleep, right? How many of you sleep every day? If you don't sleep every day, if you go days without sleeping, there might be something wrong that some people know something about. Um, But we sleep every day. What's something else we do every day? We go to work every day. Is that right? Should go to work. Even though it's hard, we don't want to go to work. You find a way to get up. What's something else that we do? If you have kids, you raise kids every day. Take care of kids. Is that right, parents? I'm not going to ask you if you want to take care of them every day, but you do take care of them every day. Change those diapers. Get them ready. Tell them to get in the shower, get in the bathtub. The 10th, 100th time. Why do we do these things every day? Because our quality of life would suffer if we didn't. Is that right? You can only not have sleep for so long before you just shut down. You can only not eat for so long or drink something before you shut down. You can only not go to work for so long before a paycheck doesn't come in. You're not able to take care of yourself or your family. Listen, if someone is not eating or sleeping, you can tell. Is that right? If somebody is not consistently eating well and sleeping well, you can tell they're falling asleep at work, they're not paying attention to you, they're malnourished, they're, they, they get thinner. If someone is not going to work, you can also tell because they're probably showing up at your house a little bit more than usual asking for things. If someone is not raising their kids, am I right? You can tell. You can tell when a child is not taking care of it. Listen very carefully. If someone is not spending time in God's presence, I can tell. Very, it's actually very easy to tell because someone that is a Christian that may be serving, may be doing these different things, if they're telling me, if they're complaining about what they're going through, if they're worried about something they're going through, if they're anxious, if they're trying to control the situation and not trusting God and not acting out in love, not extending forgiveness, to me that has told me they have not spent time in the presence of God because you cannot find those things in God's presence. You can't find worry in God's presence. You can't find fear. If somebody is scared, scared, that just tells me not spending time with God because their word, their speech is filled with fear, filled with worry. When you spend time in God's presence, he takes care of you. Spending time with him, church, is more, every day is more important than you think. We do a lot of other things every day, but spending time with him is more important than we think. Just to recap from last week, this is why I love our vision. God gave us this vision. I didn't, I'm not smart enough to come up with this. Our vision is not just to learn about him, it's to know him. And I talked about how in the future we'll, we'll talk about different things. Hopefully we'll have a, mar- a marriage series or a series on finances or a series on, you know, uh, anxiety or grief. Or, and God willing, we'll talk about all those things. But listen, a teaching on marriage can't help you, can't give your marriage peace. Only Jesus can give you peace. A teaching on finances can't give you the power to control your finances. You can know, how many of you know to do the right thing, but still find yourself not being able to do the right thing? Only God can give you, only his presence can give you the power to do the right thing, to give your marriage peace, to bring restoration to relationships. Listen, 
His presence is our foundation. Yes, you can add wisdom and knowledge and learn about these different things here at church or on YouTube or from a pastor or another church. Please do that. But if you, knew, if you neglect spending time with him every day, then you won't know what to do with that knowledge or that wisdom. Only, do you know God created you? He created you perfectly so he knows how you need to think, how you need to process certain things differently than the person next to you. Only he can show you. You can't get enough knowledge or wisdom to teach you because that teaching didn't create you. God created you. His presence is our foundation. Last thing before we get into the, these three things. The last thing I want to say, it's easy to enter God's presence. People think, well, man, how can I be with God? How can I spend time? How do I know I'm with him? It is very easy to enter God's presence. You just have to be intentional. Okay, three ways that we enter his presence. There's three ways. Just number one. And these are very simple. Don't put it up. Yeah. These are very, very, as soon as I list the first one, you'll be like, yeah, I know that. They're very, very simple, but few people are actually consistent in doing this every day. So number one, the first way we enter his presence is through prayer. Everyone say prayer. prayer. What is prayer? Prayer is simply communicating with God. That's what it is. It's just having a conversation, having communication with God. A lot of times we, we try to make it into this, this big, you know, holy thing where I got to pray. It's just communicating with God. He just wants you to talk to him. A lot of times we, th- we, we think, well, I have to pray a certain way. Listen, prayer doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be sincere. God knows and can recognize pretentious prayers. We're just saying things, not even really meaning it, but hoping he hears, maybe I say enough, our fathers are enough Hail Marys and he'll listen to me, but you don't really mean the words that you're saying. Prayer doesn't have to be perfect, but it has to be sincere. Also, prayer is a dialogue. Did you know God wants to speak to you? He wants to speak to you and you be able to understand what he's saying to you. It's not just us lifting up our prayer requests or lifting up our concerns to him. Prayer is us discerning what's, what he wants to say to us in prayer. Now, people inevitably ask, and a lot of people have this question, how do I know if God is speaking to me in prayer? How do I know, right? How many of you have wondered, man, is, what is God saying? Can I discern what he's saying? I don't even know if I'm smart enough. I don't know if I'm holy enough to understand. Well, there's a lot of different ways that God speaks, okay, in prayer. And there really isn't a pattern to, okay, this is, he says the, these words. He'll say anything he wants to say. But what I will say is he, he partners with his word, the Bible, to speak to us. What do I mean? Sometimes we're in situations and we want, and we want it, we're praying. For example, I used this analogy last um, message, so I'll just use it. If you're dating somebody and you're praying, I wonder if we should move in together. You know, I love this person. I know we're going we're gonna, to, I want to spend my life with him, but let's just move in before we get married and we'll just get settled and we'll get things together. We'll start our life. And then whenever we're, we can afford a wedding, we'll get married. And we pray. And then at one point we feel like, okay, I feel God's telling me to do this. According to his word, would he ask you or tell you to do that? Because the Bible says to not fornicate, to not commit adultery, which is another form of that, but not to fornicate, meaning we are not to have uh, sexual relations with our spouse until we say I do. So God will not ask you to do that. That's what I'm saying. He partners with his word. He'll never 
so many people, you'd be surprised, come up with their own ideas. It may not be as black and white as what I just said, but they'll come up with their own ideas, put God's name on it. Well, I felt this in prayer, completely ignoring what the Word says and say, oh, God told me this. No, he's not going to do that. God will not speak something out of his Word. And he can get very specific, and he's done that with, when we started Kingdom, he started, he's done that with me in, in, in different situations where he spoke something very specific, and it was what time proved that this was him speaking. What I will say, though, is there is something that I consistently feel in prayer, and I, and I know this is biblical, and these are two things that you can look for. I think he does this mostly, more than just speaking something specific about a prayer request or what you're going through. This is what he'll do. In prayer, God will encourage us and convict us. I want you to look at this very carefully. This is something you will feel in prayer more than anything. You will feel God trying to encourage you to continue to do the right thing, to continue to go forward, to continue to forgive people, to continue to give to people, to continue to serve, to continue to lay down your life for others. He will constantly and consistently encourage us to do that. The other thing he'll do is he'll convict us. What is conviction? Conviction is not condemnation. Conviction says, hey, um, Susie, you're better than that. I know you're going through this tough thing. I know you're trying to take matters into your own hands, but you're better than that. I know. So fix it. Change it. You are are my daughter, and I know you can do better than that. Condemnation says, you haven't gotten it right yet. You're never going to get it right, really. At this point, just give up. That's condemnation. God will encourage and convict because he wants us to go forward and he wants to convict us so that we become more like him. Listen, listen to this. If you have been in prayer and you are more discouraged than when you walked in and and you feel condemned like you're not worth anything, why even try? You have not been listening to God. You have been listening to the devil. Hope somebody catches that. Because so many times we're confused when we're praying and we feel discouraged and we feel condemned. We don't feel good. Listen, you have not spent time with God. You have spent time with the enemy. What do you mean spent time with the enemy? You're saying when I'm going in prayer, I'm talking to him? No. But the enemy can come in and try to speak. And I'll say this. This is something I've also learned about about, um, the enemy's voice versus God's voice. The enemy is usually quicker to speak than God. You'll You'll usually hear his voice First, trying to tell you not to talk to God, to say, hey, you can't hear, or it doesn't matter if you're going to hear, nothing's going to change anyways. This is one thing about God and the devil. This, and they're, not, they're only the same in this respect. They don't change. In God's presence, you will hear conviction and you will hear encouragement all the time. All the time. You'll hear encouragement and conviction. When you're in, in the enemy's presence, you will hear condemnation and you'll hear discouragement all the time. They're not like us. We change. We're very flaky people. We're all hum- humans are flaky. We're flaky creatures. We, we change. But one thing you can count on is in God's presence, you will be encouraged and you will be convicted. And in the enemy's presence, you will be discouraged and you will be condemned. So we can count on that. To me, that's, that's awesome. That's something that we can count on. God is, again, consistently trying to encourage us. And challenge us to change. Here's a few verses. First Peter 3.12. This is to know that when we pray, we're in his presence. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. Who are, who are his eyes on? Righteous 
people, people who practice righteousness, doing the right thing. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He resists the proud, he resists evil. This is why we stay away from sin. And if you're dealing with sin or messing around with sin, you should put it, put it away because the Bible says he will resist those who are evil. Psalm 5 verse 1, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning, my complaints. Do you know God wants you to complain to him? You know, complaining is not a bad thing. Complaining points out that there is something going on in your soul that needs to be addressed. Marriage is complaining is not necessarily a bad thing. It's okay to offer up a complaint to your spouse. But ultimately, this is, this is where we cross the line. When we complain, we say, hey, I don't like when you talk to me that way. I don't like when you don't say hi to me when you get home. Just fill in the blank. I don't like this. But complaining turns into more than that when we expect our spouse to do something for us that only God can do for us. Okay, complain just says, hey, you're not doing your part, and that's okay. But ultimately, even if your spouse doesn't do their part, you can still get from God what you need. Does that make sense? Hopefully that helps somebody. Because I've, I've heard marriages complain, complain, they're not doing this. And they think that their spouse needs to do that in order for them to have peace. It's a lie. Only God can give you peace. You go to them, and then if they don't give it to you, say, God, I need you to, I need you to help me. I don't know how to deal with them anymore. I'm ready to not live with them anymore. Okay, so I didn't mean to go down the marriage route. David says, Consider my groaning, my complaints. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. He says, you hear my voice in the morning. When we pray, he hears us, which means we are in his presence. We are spending time with him. Philippians 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Very famous passage. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. I love the contrast here. He says, don't be anxious or concerned about anything, but in everything on the other side, by prayer and supplication, which is just another way to pray, with thanksgiving. We're in a thanksgiving season. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Then what's going to happen? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, and thank God it does, will guard your hearts, our hearts, and minds in Christ Jesus. So what happens? When we're in a situation, instead of worrying about it, instead of fearing over what may happen if something doesn't change, we go to the Lord, and the Word of God says His peace guards us. What is peace? It's the supernatural calmness that God gives us. Now, it is, you only get peace in his presence. Like I mentioned last week, you only get peace with him. But I think peace is not just a supernatural grace that God gives us. Look at Ephesians 2 verse 14. Talking about Jesus, it says, For he himself is our peace. He himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the wall of hostility. Look at the word peace in this passage Peace in Ephesians 2 and the the word peace in Philippians 4 are the exact same Greek word. It's the same word. What am I trying to say? When it says, in the peace of God, 
He's not, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts. He's not saying a feeling is going to guard you. He said, I will guard your hearts. When we pray, I hope you're connecting the dots, when we're going through things and we pray and we give it to him, we don't worry and we're not stressing out about a situation, it says the peace of God comes. But is it just a feeling? No, he himself will come and guard our hearts. How many of you need God himself to guard your hearts? He will guard our hearts, but we have to, we have to live biblically. We have to not be anxious and give these things to him. He himself is our peace. So the first way we enter into his presence is through prayer. Second way we enter in is through the word of God, through his word. Now, you may be saying, okay, Josh, I get it. We enter into his presence through prayer, right? I'm talking to him, so obviously I'm going to be, he's going to be figuratively, figuratively in front of me, metaphorically, whatever, standing in front of me. But what do you mean I enter his presence through the word? Isn't the word just a book? It's a bi- yeah, it may be the most important book in the world, but it's just, it's a book. It's a book about Jesus. It's a book about God. It's a book about the saints. Um, it's just a book. There's something you have to understand about the Word of God, and it's this. You can turn your attention to the screen. The Word of God is not just a book of truth. The Word of God is a person. This is very, this will change the way you look at the Bible. The Word of God is not a book. The Word of God is a person. What do I mean? Let me see your Bible real quick, Kristen. If I were to take this Bible and I were to rip pages out, I were to stand on it, I were to burn some of the pages, or let's say I was just to burn the whole thing, I'd be destroying a Bible, right? Would I be destroying the Word of God? No. The Bible contains the Word of God. The Bible is not, though, the Word of God because the Word of God is a person, Okay, this is, if you can understand this, this will change the way that you look at the Bible. Look at Revelation 19, verse 11. This is a a vision that the Apostle John saw. He said, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And this is going to happen at the end of time. A white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful and true. Talking about Jesus. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. You know God has a name. He has many names, but you know he has a name that only he knows? Man, that's something else. You can give yourself a name and it count, and no one else know about it. 13, he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is what? The Word of God. Jesus is the word of God. There's actually a verse in 1 John 4 that says there are three that bear reckoning in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. He is the word. Yes, he is Jesus. Yes, he is the Son, but he is also called the word of God. Look at John 1 verse 1. In the beginning was the word. This is another very famous passage. In the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the word was with God. Jesus was with God, and the word Jesus was God. This is a good verse to explain the Trinity. He was with God, but he also was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Watch this. In him, the word was life, and the life was the light of men. We find, I hope you're getting this, there's life in the word, in Jesus, but in the word. Verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? 
Jesus, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Listen carefully. Jesus is called the Word of God because he is the personification of God's spoken and written Word, God's truth to humanity. He is called the Word of God because he is, the personification is a literary term that basically means a, a person is, is describing a thought. Jesus is describing, is the embodiment, is the personification of God's Word. Stay with me. In the Old Testament, when you read that the Word of the Lord went to Samuel to tell Jesse to anoint David, when the Word of the Lord went out to Moses, hey, take my people out of um, Egypt into the promised land. Anytime the word of the Lord went out, it was a command by God to do something. And we know that every time God speaks, it's truth, right? He doesn't lie. The devil lies. God doesn't lie. So the word of the Lord would go out to people, but it was communicated through people. The Bible says that Jesus is now the word of God or the word of the Lord. In himself, he contains all truth. So we don't need people to speak truth to us. He himself will speak to us. Listen, Jesus didn't just speak truth. He was and is the embodiment of truth. Look at John uh, 14 verse 5. Jesus had told the disciples, hey, I'm going away. I'm going to prepare a mansion. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again and take it to myself. Thomas, also called Downing Thomas, said, God, where are you going? I don't, you said you're going to go away and prepare a mansion and a place for us. We don't know where you're going. We barely know where you came from, but like, we have no, where are you going? Would you show us how can we know the way to get there? Look at Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know what Jesus said? He said, Thomas, not only am I going to show you the way to the Father in my body, I'm going to present, I'm going to make a way for you to get to the Father. He said, what he was saying is, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the fullness of God's spoken and written word. And actually, I didn't say this in the last message, but in Hebrews 1, it says God used to speak in various ways by his prophets, but now he speaks through his son, who is Jesus. What am I getting at? When we read the word of God, we're not just reading a book. We're spending time with a man. The Bible actually says, John, look at John 1, verse 16, verse, verse 17. It says, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This is a very, 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 very powerful verse. In the Old Testament, God gave the law to the Israelites and said, had the Ten Commandments. Don't, don't steal, don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't have other gods, don't violate the Sabbath day. The law, the right way to live was given through Moses. But the Bible says truth and grace came through Jesus Christ. What do we know about grace? Grace is the divine power of God to do the things he's asking us to do. Listen, this, listen very, this will change the way you'll, you look at the Bible. Look at the screen and re- read very carefully with me. 
When we read the Word of God, we're not only reading how we should live, what is right and what is wrong, we're also receiving the strength to live the way that we should live. Why? Because in Jesus, who is the Word, we don't just understand truth, we receive grace to do what he's asking us to do. This past month, I've had such an attack on, on my time in the Word. I can't tell you how hard it has been to read the Bible. I Just several months ago, I was reading 10 chapters a day, because this is what the Lord was asking me to do. In the past month, it has been a struggle to read one chapter, even half a chapter. And I'm like, Lord, is it me? Is it because I'm... I'm hungry. Like I told you, I can't go very much time without eating. Am I tired? And I would do those things, and then I would not read. And I'm like, well, it's not that. And I realized there was a demonic attack in my life for me to not get in the Word. It's like I would open up the Bible, and I just could not go to the next verse. Why? Because the devil knows that when you spend time reading the Word, you're not just learning truth. You're spending time with a man, and he is downloading strength and wisdom into your life so that you can do the things he's asking you to do. When you spend time in his word, you're not spending time with the book. You're spending time with the man. And the devil does not want you to read. He does not want you to read or spend time with him. This is why I say we spend time in his presence when we spend time in the word. A joke last service, but that's my best shot at getting you to read the Bible. Like, if you don't want to spend time with Jesus and receive strength, I don't know what else. I don't know what else to tell you or how else to, to convince you. It's not just a book. We have to discipline ourselves and get in the Word. How often? Every day. How well do you do without? For you that need to eat, how well do you do without a day's um, meal? A day's worth of meals? Not well. We can't, he is our life. The word of God is powerful. Hebrews 4.12, look at this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper. This is talking about not just a book, but the words on the page that describe a man are the man, are sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. What does that mean? When the enemy comes to try to lie to you about your spouse, lie to you about your coworkers, or try to deceive you or get you to be anxious and worry about the situation that, you, that is out of your control, when the enemy tries to come in, the word of God comes along, splits every thought, puts them in the right corner, and helps us to recognize truth versus the lie. Because we know from the word that whenever we believe a lie, we always go into bondage. The word of God is so powerful that we can discern every thought that comes in our mind. But if we don't take the time to read the Bible, you don't have a chance to tell the difference between God's thoughts and the enemy's thoughts. You don't have a chance, which makes it that much easier for him to take you into captivity and bondage, into fear, into worry, into anxiety, into all these things. John 6.63 says this. This is Jesus talking. It says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you, the words I'm speaking to you right now, <laughs> are spirit and life. Why are they spirit and life? Because he is the word. I, the words I'm speaking to you because I am the word of God are spirit and life. Listen, when we get into his word, we are literally eating life, spiritual life. You can't take care of your body enough to defeat the enemy. You can't discipline yourself enough to defeat the enemy. You can't have a disciplined life in eating, in, in, in exercise, in any other area, 
enough to conquer the enemy because it's his spirit. He said, the words I'm speaking to you are spirit and life. I remember when the Lord first gave me the revelation about this, this passage. It's just, oh my God, when I'm reading the word, as I'm reading your word, I'm literally ingesting life. I'm telling you, I can tell the difference when, when somebody is not in the word every day. It's very easy to tell. Your spiritual body needs sustenance just the way your physical body does. Is reading God's word a priority? Lastly, real quickly, we enter God's presence through worship. Worship. Now, I tried to give the definition a couple weeks ago, but I couldn't remember it off the top of my head. Worship comes from an old English word meaning worth-ship. W-R-T-H, ship, S-H-I-P. And basically, worship means this. Worship is the act of attributing worth to someone or something. Okay, when you think of worship, now you think about God, you think about worshiping like in, in, a, in a very uh, reverent sense. But in, in the old English, worship, you could worship something and basically you could, um, if you took, let's say you had a car that you took care of, there weren't cars back then, but let's pretend, if they, somebody had a car, you would, you would you went by taking care of it, changing the oil, filling up the tank with gas, ladies, um, uh, taking it to get washed. I wonder how many engines have been destroyed because of that. Um, you could say, hey, I am worshiping my car. But it was this, it was this sense of, hey, this is, worth, worth, this is um, worthwhile to me, so I'm going to take care of it. So worship comes, the word that we know comes from that idea, hey, this is worth something to me, so I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to prove to others that this is worthwhile to me. Worship today's biblical Christian worship shows God how much he is worth to us. How much is God worth to you? Worship, our worship to him demonstrates how much he is worth to us. Romans 12 verse 1, if you can put that on real quick. This is a pat, two verses that best describe what worship looks like. Appeal to you, therefore, brothers, this is Paul, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they would put animals on the altar to pay the price for their sins. Paul is saying God is not asking for you to kill yourself. He's asking for you to give yourself alive to him so that you can honor him with your body. It says holy and acceptable to God, living sacrifice as holy and acceptable, which is what? Your spiritual worship. This is worship. Worship is not simply music, which I'm going to get to that in a second. Worship is us laying down our lives for him. Look at verse 2. Do not, and then he tells us how we should worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Listen, you cannot renew your mind unless you know the word. Because the word has truth. What are you renewing your mind to? Just more lies? More false beliefs? False ideas? False teaching? We only, you can only replace thoughts in your mind with stronger thoughts. And that's the word. By the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern. Again, you can't even discern if you don't know the word. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? And there are many expressions of worship. There are many expressions. Um, one expression of worship is when somebody lies to you for the fifth, sixth time that you still forgive them. 
Does that hurt to forgive somebody that's hurt you so many times? Yeah. But if you do it, then you are presenting yourself as a living sacrifice. Yeah, you're being tortured and burned up in the moment, but it's pleasing to the Lord because he continues to forgive us. So we will forgive other people. That's worship. Now, there are many expressions of worship, but praise is one of those expressions. Okay, I'm about to get into this. When we worship in praise, you can keep that up for a moment. When we worship in praise, we are laying ourselves on the altar as a living sacrifice in a way that he wants. A lot of people despise praise. They look down on it. But praise is actually a form of worship. Look at Psalm 95 verse 1. Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come where? Into his presence again with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great king above all gods. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come where? Into his presence. How? With singing. Where do we sing? Whenever we, we come together as a body, when we sing in our cars, when we sing at home, let us come into his presence with singing. Verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. We enter into his presence with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Praise is one way we worship the Lord. I'm just going to say it. Um, many of us do not value praise. You know how I know? Because most of us walked in after praise started. You don't value it. Value the word. There is something supernatural that happened. And you know how I know? Because when we started, there was only only... 20% of the people in this room are already in here. So I saw pretty much everyone walk in. So I know what time you came in. For, for whatever it's worth. The Bible says that we are to worship him with praise. It is very clear in the word. And just because we don't, <laughs> just because we don't feel it doesn't mean we're not in his presence. He is worthy of praise even if we feel him or not. He already purchased the ticket for us to go to heaven, he's worthy of praise for that reason alone for the rest of our lives. It's time for us to stop despising. And I don't have a cup of coffee up here, but some of us worship this cup more than praise. We'd rather get that before we walk in. Psalm 18, I'm just going to keep going. Psalm 18, verse 1. <clears throat> this is the last passage, and then we'll finish. This is a passage that David wrote. I can so, I'll just go back to this for a second. I could so easily like go into this and other things, but the Holy Spirit can do a better job. So I'm going to let him do that. Psalm 18, verse 1. This is a passage that David wrote. I want you to pay attention to the first three or four verses. He says this. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge. 
my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. And then he begins to describe what has been happening to him in that season of his life. The cords of death encompassed me. The torrents of destruction assailed me. The cords of hell entangled me. The snares of death confronted me. He's, he was in a bad place. He said that the world was crashing in around him and his enemies were coming against him. He says, in my distress, I called upon the Lord. To my God, I cried for help. And then it says, from his temple, he heard my voice and my cry to him reached his ears. These first several verses, he is praising God, thanking him. He basically says, he is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my rock again, my, just in case he missed that, my shield, my salvation, my stronghold. He, he basically says, God, you are my everything. He gives him total praise. And then he begins to list things that, he's go, that are going on in his life. He didn't have to say names because he, he knew that God, that God is there and he sees what's going on. So he says, God, you know what I'm going through, but this is how I'm feeling. Listen to what God does in response to his praise. Verse 7, then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on an angel cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings. How did he come? He came Swiftly, he came fast on the wings of the wind. He made darknesses covering his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him, hellstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered, he spoke, uttered his voice, hellstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. I was about to drown. I was about to be overwhelmed. He drew me out. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. We're facing things that are too big for us. They're too strong for us. They confronted me. These enemies confronted me on the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. I don't know how figurative that was. Listen, in the spiritual realm, things happen when we praise him. When we offer ourselves up as a living sacrifice, all that, those 15 verses that we read happen as a result of, God, of David praising God. You can't tell me things don't happen when we praise God. And listen, you don't have to feel it to know that God is actually doing something. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Anywhere you read, we, this is why we start the morning, our service, with praise, because you enter in with praise. But if you're not here to enter in, what are we doing? And then we end with thanksgiving. God, thank you for what you said. Thank you for what you've done. We enter in with prayer. 
We answer in through the word, and we answer in through praise. These are very simple, like super simple, things we talk about all the time. The difference is most of us have not made a commitment to it. And we blame God why things aren't happening. I remember years ago, there was this, this girl that had a lot of issues, like, like a lot of us. And she, she was always asking me for advice. And I don't think she even, she just wanted somebody to talk to. So she would just come up with things to talk about. And one of the things I would consistently tell her was, hey, you need, are you spending time in the word? Are you praying? Are you worshiping? Are you praising? Are you going to church? Well, she was going to church, but she wasn't. And I remember at one point she said, look, I'm going through something, but I already know what you're going to tell me. And I said, what? What am I going to tell you? And she said, you're going to tell me to read the Bible and pray. I said, yeah, I am. (laughs) That is what I'm going to say. Just copy and paste. I'm going to screenshot our last conversation and send it to you. And she said, I just don't know. That's not enough. And I said, I know you're not. And at first, the last service, I I was going to say, I thought, but I actually told her this. I said, you're not spending time with God. You're doing it to, in pretense to check off something off a list just so you can feel better about your life. But you're not doing it so you can actually spend time with him. God can tell the difference. It, let me tell you, you can do these things just so you can have a better life and it won't have the same effect as if you actually want to be in his presence the way that you want to be with your loved ones. It's not hard to be in his presence. It's not. It's actually very easy. You just have to be, you have to mean it. You have to be intentional. Do you want to be in his presence? Let's stand. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. I know I put a few people on the spot when it came to the praise. Um, Listen, if, if praise was not that big of a deal, I could care less if you came. Care less. But I know what the word says. I know what happens when we come together and worship as one body, when we praise and we shout and we kneel before him. Just read the word. There are plenty of instances, New Testament story, where the, where the, um, the, uh, the, Christ, the early Christians praise God together after they had been released from the custody of the Jewish leaders and they prayed and they gave up a prayer of thanksgiving. It says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit when they all came together. There's powerful things that happened when they were in the upper room praying for 40 days, praying and worshiping and praising. The Holy Spirit was given to them. I only speak so strongly about these things because I know the value when we come together. So this is not just to be mean or to be hard. I want God's best for your life. Truly, truly, I want God's best for your life. And the only way we get his best, his blessing on our lives, is when we follow his word.